You're listening to the Bad Reputation Podcast, hosted by Todd Collins and sponsored by Anchor FM. If you haven't listened before, we've got two words for you. Listen up. From digital marketing tips, entrepreneurial stories, and more, you will get the most up-to-date info brought right to your ear. Follow Todd on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, Facebook, and more at Todd Collins Official. Listen everywhere podcasts are available, like Spotify, Apple, Roku, and more. Are you guys ready? Now, your host of Bad Reputation, Todd Collins. Hey guys, welcome back. It has been um, a little bit since uh, I've done a podcast and, and quite honestly, it's because I've been pretty busy. I'm doing a lot of uh, one-on-ones with people, a lot of webinars, a lot of value building, um, a lot of the stuff that I just preach to uh, a majority of you. I've been doing a lot of that and, um, and our clients, our clients are still rocking and rolling, man. A lot of our real estate uh, clients are, are still crushing it. Um, a lot of our restaurant clients are still crushing it, believe it or not. You know, we're based in Maryland. We, you know, obviously we feel like we're held hostage right now. Uh, at least some of us do. And um, these restaurants are, are, are pushing through, but the real estate market and the real estate agents here in Maryland are, are doing a spectacular job. Um, and I wanted to hi- highlight uh, a couple of those. And one in particular um, is a guy by the name of Chris Drewer. Uh, I, I know you guys have seen him around. I know you've heard of him. Um, he's, he's done quite a bit in, in this industry, especially in Maryland. And, um, I decided that I want to have him on the show and, uh, that's who we have with us today is Mr. Chris Drew. How you doing, brother? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Um, what's your, you know, we, you and I have, have, have worked together on a couple things. What's your, what's your whole take right now, um, on, on what we're seeing, you know, within the market. I know the real estate market seems to still be in a, in good shape, at least in this area. Um, but what's your take on it? Is it still moving in the same direction it was? Has it slowed? Is it, I mean, what's, what's the deal right now? Uh, it's really, it's pretty hot right now. Um, especially if you are a seller and you're selling a house, inventory is still short in most places. Um, the rates are still really low. So buyers are able to buy houses um, for less than a rent payment. Um, and at, for a little bit, it was a little shaky when it first all started because they tightened down the lending restrictions um, and uh, the credit scores were, you know, you had to have higher credit score. Everything was kind of out of whack, but that's settled down a little bit. The rates have pretty much settled down where they are. Uh, if you have a really nice property in a good area, you're going to have, you know, multiple offers in, you know, a few days probably. So it's, it's really, um, it's, it's really a good market still, solid market. Yeah, it's funny because, uh, you know, I, I, was, I think you and I have had this conversation before, but, we, you know, I was talking about 2007 and 2008. I remember going, going through that. I think I actually even purchased like my very first property in 2000, 2007. Yeah, it was 2007. And, uh, the, you know, it was, like a, it was like a mad panic. And I know when everybody saw the stock market started to go with this, you know, it was starting to do that decline and that real big humongous dip that we saw and the unemployment rates go up and all this other, and, and all these other things you know, the first initial reaction is because of what happened in 2007 and 2008 was like, oh, oh God, here goes the real estate market. Oh, geez. And it, to me, it's like the real estate market and the car business, which were heavily affected during that time. Those are two actual industries right now that are doing really, really well. Like all my dealership clients, all my real estate agent uh, clients and friends that are real estate agents, they're all telling me like, dude, we're, we're fine. We're doing great. Right. 
Um, I think one of the big differences then was uh, there was an economic crisis and we didn't have that coming into this. Uh, we were seeing appreciation back in the new seven, 20% a year. And it could only do that for so long. People were taking out interest only loans, negative amortization loans. And they just, at some point, you know, they were just, the payment was high. And if they tried to refi or sell, they couldn't sell for what they bought. They're underwater. There's a lot of different differences in that market versus this market. Yeah. And so back then, I mean, obviously the, I, I guess banks had adjusted what, you know, what lending uh, and real estate agents, obviously um, I, I, my assumption is, is that they learned from that experience and then they've passed that along to a lot of the younger real estate agents now that have come into that, this market um, that weren't around in 2007 and 2008 that saw that, right? So they, their, their preparation was a little bit off when they kind of saw this, uh, saw this situation happen. One of, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and I, and I always ask a lot of people this, is how did you get into real estate? Because it seems to me that like everyone that I talked to came from somewhere, like you didn't just jump into real estate. Everybody came from somewhere else and got into real estate. So take me back a little bit, you know, where, where are you originally from? You know, when you got out of high school and college, you know, what did you do? And then you, how did it veer into the real estate industry? Okay. Yeah. I, um, I grew up in Newport news, Virginia town down near Virginia beach. Um, got out of college and had an economics degree. And I was like, I'm either gonna, I'm not sure what I'm gonna do with this. I mean, work for the government or something. There's not that many economists, you know, uh, except for in the government really. Um, so I just started job searching and couldn't find anything, but I wasn't going to stay at home. So I was like, I'm going to start somewhere and work my way up. So I took a job at Lowe's Home Improvement in Virginia and they fast tracked me in two years. I became a store manager. So I was running, you know, 250 employees, uh, $70 million store in sales. It was a store in White Marsh. They transferred me from Virginia to White Marsh, Maryland. Um, so I, I did that. They had all kinds of perks if you stayed two years. So I did it for two years and I was like, I'm kind of done with retail. I want to do something where I can control my money. You know, I got bonuses there, but it was nothing like hundred percent commission. And hundred percent commission is scary. I mean, it can be scary if you, sure. if you aren't used to it, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, you got it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little scary, but it's for me, it was, I can't fail. You know, I got to work hard um, and do more than the next person and just do it better. So I got into real estate in 04. So it's about six, it'll be 16 years in September. Um, it took me too long um, before I hired an assistant. Teams weren't as big back then. They were, they were still around, but they weren't as big as they are now. So I didn't really start a team or even get a licensed assistant until 2012. And then I've had her, I've had the same licensed assistant now since 2012. And, um, and we've streamlined everything. And now I got, you know, eight people on a team. So, and I've been, I'm able to show people the things to do and the steps to do them different than the way I did from the mistakes I learned from, even though I still did good. I still had record, you know, really good years, but, um, I could have definitely done a couple of things differently at the beginning. And it would have just been a little bit easier. I wouldn't have worked as many hours probably and still got to the same place, but you live and learn. I mean, so. Well, yeah. I mean, the experience side of things, that's, that's where, uh, you know, to be quite honest with you, 
anybody that I know that has been through any type of or seen any type of success, and it doesn't necessarily mean real estate, but anything that they've done, um, they are some, <laughs> those people are some of the people that have failed more than anybody I've ever met in my entire life. Um, it's just, it's just a, a fact of um, becoming a master of your craft. And so that, that's what I find interesting. So what predicated the point of you going, all right, I need to build a team out of this. Like, why not just stick to yourself? Why not just do it on your own? Cause I know I hear a lot of people say that too. They just want to be by themselves. You can only do so much by yourself though. I mean, like it's, there's some benefits to um, numbers. I mean, having, especially in marketing, I mean, you know that, I mean, if you have more, yeah. if I have more people in a diverse group of people, not everyone wants to work with me maybe, but, they may like someone on my team fits them better. You know, I try to match people up with, um, you know, I've, I, mean, I think I'm young, but I'm 45 now. So the 20, the late twenties, some of these guys, guys and girls getting into real estate are in the twenties. And I mean, they're, and they're crushing it, but they, and they're, that's the next, that's where I see the biggest influx of buyers is the millennials, the 25 to 35. They're like, and that's why, like, I believe wholeheartedly all the stuff you say about, Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff is where they are right now. And they're, it's a different group of people, but they've been paying, they don't mind paying. They've been paying to live in, you know, luxury apartments for wait a lot of money. If you go down the city, some of those apartment buildings are really expensive um, and you can get a house for the same, you know, same thing. And you just got to, you just got to match. I think you just got to get along. I mean, once you figure out someone and figure out how they work and, if they like the way you work, I think that's the biggest thing. I've learned one thing at Lowe's, well, a lot of things, but one of the biggest things I learned was customer service and retail. It's just like the food business, you know, anything else or car, you, you have to take care of the customer. They have choices. Um, and that was beat into our head. There was, you know, customers first task and it later, you know, so we definitely, we did a lot of that. And I think they've gone, a lot of places have gone away from that more than they used to. Um, and you can, and that's why a lot of them aren't, doing as well I think yeah I mean you know I always I, I always always with my team I always use Amazon as an example right um, you know if you if you tweet if you were to tweet out that you had an issue and you tagged Amazon in it they immediately tweet you back and you get a direct message to your Twitter account from someone from Amazon and they're immediately on top of it um, and so you know there's a reason why this guy is going to be end up being the first trillionaire you know in the history of the world Right. And the funny thing is, is that Bezos gives you the secret every single time that he has asked the question on how has he been able to succeed. And every single time he says the exact same thing, customer service, yeah. better customer service, never about price, never about money, because here's the funniest thing. And a lot of people don't realize this, but you can buy the same stuff on Amazon. You can buy that same stuff, if I'm not mistaken, from Alibaba or um, their, their direct competitor. I can't remember what it is, but, it's, but you can always get it cheaper on this other platform. You just won't get it in prime sector delivery like the next day. You have, you have a two-day delivery, but it's still cheaper. And it's interestingly enough, they've, Amazon has become such a reliable resource and proven such great customer service that people don't mind spending a little bit more for the guarantee or the better customer service. If something were to go wrong, they know they can rely on that service is going to be there to back it up. And that is a, that's a real, um, that is a real differentiator 
in the profitability scale of a business and people still don't realize it. And you're absolutely right. They get a lot have a lot of people have gotten away from it. They just don't. And which is very odd to me, Chris, as the, from a digital standpoint, the, the communication sphere of, if I'm not happy, I have the ability to tell everybody very, very quickly and, and create a mob uh, within you know minutes. Um, you would think companies would have, have, gotten on to this a little bit quicker and a little bit better as they've grown, but they haven't, sadly. Well, they use the technology to create more tasks. Right. Like tasks that they think are going to help, but they're actually people just like good old, like fashion customer service. You know, they, like, they want, they want, and that's one good thing about, I think about Lowe's and the length of time I've been in real estate, what you just said, like, if I, if they have a, they know I'm going to be around, I'm going to be, I'm not going to be gone in a year um, and from real estate. They knew Lowe's was around when they bought their kitchen. It might've been more expensive, but if something happened, that company was there and it wasn't like it was going to close down the next week right. and there was no warranty. Same thing with my, that's how I feel with, with real estate. I try to, I, a lot of realtors, I don't know what the statistic is, but there's some kind of, I, I think it's like, 70% of people forget the name of the realtor after a year, which is mind blowing. But it happened to me when I bought my first house. I don't remember. I remember one lady that I bought a house from, but I don't remember the person who listed my house in Virginia. I don't even know her name. Yeah. Which and and I mean, so, you know, you know, what's, and, and that takes us to where you, you, you know, where we are today, that statistic, there's a, there's a reason for that. And it's made, it's mainly because, a majority of the real estate agents that you see out there that, that are branding themselves are really self-centering themselves toward, okay, got the client, sold the house or bought the house, whatever it is, job's done, on to the next one, which is, and I, and I get that. Trust me, I understand it. Being in the same business we're in, I'm talking to a client, client signs on with this. And, and I set that expectation up front now, right? I'm like, look, you're not going to talk to me every single day. That's not, yeah. that's not how this works. And I let everybody know that. Right. And you're going to be handed off to this person and this person's been trained by me and they're going to handle you. And, um, you know, you try to set that expectation and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's the, the, the fact that if you are out of sight, out of mind at that point, when they have the ability and real estate agents especially can live off referrals, right? I mean, you guys can live off of that. Um, you would think that you would want to do something from a digital standpoint to keep that person, you know, in your web after they either purchased a house or you help them sell a house, you would think you wouldn't want to keep them there, but it's, it's just something that it just goes right out their mind. They're like, on to the next one. And just, it boggles my mind. I just don't understand it. Yeah. So I do, I do, I'm starting to bump the digital up, you know that, but I've always done, um, mailings and I do like 13 a year to each person. So I yeah. do, the, I do, and I do a lot of stuff that stays around like the magnets you know, for the fridge. I do football, baseball. I sent baseball out knowing there wasn't even, they weren't even playing this year. I mean, I don't know when they will, but, uh, but it's sitting on people. Schedule's still the same. Yeah. It's the schedules on their fridge and my information's there. I do Christmas cards, birthday cards, birthday cards um, for even like family members who didn't buy a house for me, but they're in the same household. Cause, and maybe they're like 25 years old and, and they're going to buy at 30 they're always going to remember that some realtor sent them a birthday card though. And it wasn't like 200 people on Facebook saying happy birthday. Cause you forget, you don't even remember who in a day on your birthday, you can, you can't tell me you can remember everyone that says happy birthday on Facebook. 
when you, you, you know it's yeah, and not to cut you off, but it's interesting you say that. So I, I have a quick story. It's um, I had a I had a a client of mine, um, Dante Libertori. I, you know Libertori's yeah. restaurant. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and Dante, um, for one day, one day, just out of the blue, man, he 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 must have sat down, and he wrote a letter, handwritten letter to me, and it was like, you know you're doing such a great job. This is, I mean, I, I can tell you, like, I'm so proud of the stuff that you're doing. Everything that you've done for me so far has really helped me and all this other stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking about something like this guy really, like he didn't have to do that. So it's like, when you talk, when you talk about letters and I mean, for somebody to sit down, write something to you and put it in the mail and send it to you, that's a big deal, man. I mean, with the world that we live in and the age that we live in where we can pick the device up and we can text in a second, you know, even if the feeling's still behind it, it, it's, it's, it's not the same. It doesn't have the same impact as some of that old school kind of, um, you know, follow up or customer service that we're talking about, but it is pretty interesting. And it's cool that you still do that. I, me personally, I'm not, I'm, it, you'd be hard pressed to, to, for me to get me to invest in magnets and send them out or whatever. But, um, I still believe that those types of tactics are, are valuable if they're handled and they're done the right way. Right. No question about it. I, and the other thing I did during this, everyone was freaking out when this happened. They're like, what are we going to do? Can't go outside. We can't do business the same way we did. So I made a decision early on and I had we, my assistant and I split the list of customers that I have, which I think was like 700 or something. <laughs> it was crazy. And um, we, we called every one of them every single one of them and said, we're just calling, we're not calling for business. We're calling uh, for a wellness check to see how you're doing. And people were, and we were able to type, I have a service where I can, the back end of it, we can type in what the people said so I could see it and she could see it. So, and everyone said they appreciate the call. They, and they said hi to me if she called them, you know, so, and we're talking about people from 14, 13 years ago, you know, yeah. just to check on them and they were home. We know they're home. You know, so why, and, and they're not talking to anyone on the phone. They're, you know, they're sitting there on Zoom meetings for work. For someone to call them just to say, hey, how are you doing? You know, what's up with you? You know, is your job still good? Is everyone healthy? It was powerful. It was very powerful. Yeah, and see, again, that's, that's if, if everybody were willing to do that right now, they would be amazed about the, and it doesn't, again, this isn't, it doesn't matter what industry. And again, we're, you know, we're talking about real estate right now, but again, this goes for anybody that owns a business. If you've got customers and if you've got clients, if you pick that phone up and you call and just say, Hey, I just want to check in and see how you're doing, <sighs> buddy, that goes a long, long way. In fact, interestingly enough, um, you know, we've got like 3000, so for me to sit down here and pick the fucking phone up for, and call 3,000 people ain't going to happen, Chris. Just not going to happen. But we've stayed in touch with them, right? We've stayed in touch with them. But I've had some clients that have become friends, you know, over time. And these people are reaching out to me being, hey, man, just checking in on you, see how you're doing. I'm like, God damn. I was like, they, I would, you would think that I would be the first person they're calling to cancel. Right. You know, not the first person they're calling to check in on to see how I'm doing. And, you know, I, it's I, – you test that to maybe again, you know, what we were talking about is the customer service. You know, I feel like, you know, um, that's one of the things that's always set us apart has been yeah. the customer service. I'm, I, people know that I'm up until three in the morning, every morning, and maybe I get up a little bit later than everybody else. But by that time, you know, shit hasn't hit the fan yet anyway. So it doesn't matter. Right. But 
you, you know, uh, you make yourself available and you take a call or you take a text message or you take an email from somebody and um, just make yourself available and it changes the whole spectrum um, about the success rate of your business. I mean, there's just no question about that. I, I, I truly believe that that is the um, common denominator across the board for, for anybody that's successful in any industry is that customer service side. I mean, you're absolutely right. Yeah, what's you, your, guys, what's you your, guys contacted me at, right at the beginning. Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to still, like, I think it was, yeah. I was amazed. And you were like, because some places just kept charging, like, and didn't ask. Yeah. yeah. And you were like, what do you want to do? You wanna, I'm like, let's put the pedal to the metal and let's go. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's interesting you say that because there was a lot there, you know, there were restaurants that, that we had, and I'll talk about restaurants because a lot of our real estate agents didn't, they were just like, I mean, everybody in your industry was like, dude, let's go like ramp it up. And I'm like, damn, these guys are for real. Like they're not stopped. Like, and it's easy for me to get along with real estate agents so well, cause we're all in that salesy, that, that I don't want to say salesy, but that sales business, we're all in that like run grind hustle mentality. We all live and breathe that. So it's, it's easier for me. It's more relatable for me that like they, we don't, you know, the real estate guys and gals and myself, like we don't back down a lot. Like we really push through, you know, like shitty times. That's a lot of real estate industry people, a lot of restaurant people, not so much. You know, I had a lot of restaurant clients that just do fucking rolled over, man. A lot, you know, and it's, it's, it is what it is. Some of them now have decided that they want to open back up. Some have decided to stay closed until further notice. It, you know, that's their decision, but I know my mentality would have been, you know, let's quickly pivot and figure out a way through this. And there's a lot of them that really did. And everybody knows who those restaurants are. Everybody in everybody where we live in Maryland knows who those restaurants are. And the ones that were like, Nope, we're, we're now leveraging even further. And they're taking advantage of the other restaurants that decided to close up shop for a little while. And I get it. I, I understand, you know, it's a very thin margin business, but at the end of the day, um, it's, these are the times and I can't say it enough and I can't stress it enough. These are the times when you make a difference. And an example would be a couple different times in history, this has happened. So if I'm not mistaken, Kellogg's did it to post, uh, back, I think it was, it might even been during like the depression era or just after the depression era, Kellogg's did it to post where Kellogg's really ramped up their advertising and post really declined their advertising and Kellogg Kellogg's was able to really steal a lot of their customer base. And then it happened again in the eighties when, uh, again, it was a little bit of a, uh, I guess recession, if you would call right. it that. And McDonald's, McDonald's backed their advertising way down and Pizza Hut accelerated their advertising spend and their marketing. And they, it took McDonald's a really long time to catch up to Pizza Hut. And so this happens historically all the time, yet, everybody historically does the exact same thing and gets nervous as shit and then grabs all their funds and just goes like this. And that's when you're losing. Cause when it all leverages out and all opens back up, now you're screwed because everyone's taking a bigger piece of your pie and you got to work for it, work harder to get it back. And, I, and I'm, I'm a loyal person. I mean, you can see I worked at Lowe's for nine years and 16 in real estate. I don't really, I haven't jumped around and I've worked at the same real estate company since the day I started the business. And you know, that's not common in this industry. I mean, we see people jump all the time. And that's another reason, like, even if I didn't have sales for a couple of months, I would still stick with someone, you know, that I was loyal to just, and just, 
you know, make it work. Because I know that the other side of that is going to be, you know, trifold. You know, we're going to definitely make it up in the end. So here's a question for you, being that you're seasoned and you've been in the business for a long time. Um, I, I have a lot of younger real estate agents that, that they do reach out to me. Um, and, you know, they'll ask me a question where, um, you know, like I'm having trouble making my first sale, you know, what do I do? And I'm th- sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm not the guy that you want to talk to about, you know, this, but I'll do my best being in the sales business. And, right. You know, they, they always ask that. And my, my recommendation to them is to go find someone that is willing to mentor you and meet and, and, and get them and, and quite honestly, just follow them from place to place. Say, can I follow you everywhere you go from A to Z to see how this is done? Are you willing to, if, if, are you willing to invest in me in, in that way? And I'll come work for you. And I tell them that every single time. And I'm just very confused by like, it's almost like they're waiting for that first sale. They've got their real estate license. They've got all these things, but it's like they skip the step of going, maybe I should find somebody to kind of mentor me a little bit getting into this to help me get that first sale because we all need, need help on the very first one. Everyone knows that. The first yeah. one is the hardest, most difficult one. After that, it becomes a lot easier. But what's your take on that? What advice would you give uh, you know, a younger, younger real estate agents that are trying to get into the business and they're struggling with that first sale? I recommend talking to a realtor that's um, seasoned before you even go take the class. I mean, yeah, because then you you know what it's it's this industry is not for everyone. It's a tough industry. I mean, you got to know what you're signing up for. And you're right, you got to have someone that can mentor you because um, you got and you got to be a people person. You got to be able to sell when you can sell and relate with people. It doesn't matter what you're selling. You can you know you can be successful. But real estate's um, a little tricky because it's the biggest asset that people buy in their whole life. You know? So they got to trust you and they do. It's funny. They do ask. Some people will ask you about your experience. Some people never ask you how many years you've been in the business throughout the whole transaction. But if they like you, like and you say this a lot, if someone likes you, they'll use you. you know? Once they like you, even social media wise, you know, and they like what you do, it doesn't matter if you have, I'm learning too. Like I, I thought some of the stuff I thought people would like that I've really worked hard to produce on social media, I get no love. And then something I do that I think this is kind of dumb. I just thought of this, you know, two, took me two seconds to do and it blows up and everyone likes it. And, and it's cause I get, you just gotta be, a, be real, be you and be real. And then just, you can learn the processes. They're not the hardest um, to learn but you really, you just got to really have people, people have to trust you and they have to, um, and they have to believe that you're looking out for their best interest. I'd say if you can do that, I think that you'll be fine. Yeah. And that, and that's where I feel like they struggle the most is it's, I think it's the fear of the sale that stops them. They're afraid. Um, they're afraid of those questions that, that you just, that you just said, right? Like, I mean, every salesperson, no matter what they're selling, you know, but especially a real estate agent, if, if their potential, uh, um, client is going to say, Hey, how long have you been in this business? It's going to be me trying to vet you of the experience that you've had in situations like this. And you say, well, this is my first sale. Of course, that's going to create some anxiety in the client. I mean, obviously, which is why, again, my recommendation is always find someone who can mentor you. They'll probably help you get your first sale anyway. Uh, and then, you know what I mean? And then go, okay, so you see what I did there. You see how I did this. All right, now let's try it on our own. Um, and, 
again, you know, this is the reason I asked you that question is because I want it. Sometimes it's like when your parent tells you something and you know, they don't listen or they're not comprehending it. But then when, you know, Mr. John across the street tells them that they're going, Oh yes, sir. Mr. John, I totally get it. Yep. 100%. You look at your kid like, what are you a fucking asshole? I told you that 20 times. Now you're listening to Mr. John. They just need confirmation. Um, yeah, I'll give you a real, a real quick tip that I, this is a really good thing that I learned early on. You just got to make things work for you. So um, my first listing appointment, I was like, how am I going to go up against other people to sell their house? When other If they interview other agents, they're going to have more experience. They're going to have. So I, I purposely made up an interview question list that centered around my strengths. And when I was done, when I went there to talk to the people, I said, do you have a list of questions to ask other agents? And they said, oh, no, we never thought of that. I said, well, here's a good one you can use. And it was all set up for me. Like it was set up to, to go off my strengths. And then I had an advantage because I knew the answer. I knew the questions. So I was able to have the answers. Whoever else they interviewed was never not going to see the questions and they would never know what was coming. And they probably wouldn't even expect to have questions asked. Um, so what I said was, um, how many years, I said I had eight years in housing industry experience because I was at Lowe's. So you have to find something that you can like parlay into the business and, and make it work for you. Sorry about that. Did you miss all that? I did, but it's okay. That was a good, <laughs> I was on a roll there. All right, we're still recording, so we'll keep going because Chris had something really good going on there, and I want him to continue this. We had a little bit of a uh, difficulty there, but we're uh, we're still rolling. So go ahead. You dealt with the said, when I went to my my listen um, presentation, the first one, I made up a set of questions that centered around my strengths, and said, "Hey, do you guys have um, questions to ask the other agents?" And they said, "No, we never thought of that." I was like, "Here's here's some questions you should ask them," and they were all the ones I made, and I knew the answers to them. And they were centered around my strengths. So then the other people were coming in, the other agents, they're not even expecting to have questions asked and they don't know what they are and they might not be their strengths. So basically I came in the business the first month and said I had eight years of housing industry experience from Lowe's. I didn't say from Lowe's, I just said eight years of housing industry experience. So that sounds like I'm experienced. It wasn't in selling real estate, but it was, I knew everything about a house because yeah. I was in a home improvement store. So I think yeah. you have to, you, when you're really young, you don't have a lot of that life experience, but you have to have something that you can make, you can parlay into real estate, you know, that you've done in your life, whether it was a job. Like I also worked at Bush Gardens, an amusement park in college. I was, I ran the cash office. Um, it was like a casino in there. We had, you know, it was, it was crazy, but, but it was a good experience. It was a really good experience. And so you got to have some sort of experiences in life that you can immediately use in the business, even if you haven't sold a house yet. Yeah, I always recommend to anybody that's getting into your as well is, is thinking about getting into any type of sales. Uh, quite honestly, I always say to everybody, I'm like, go, go get a car, uh, go get a job at a car dealership selling cars. That and, yeah, and that majority works. of the time, that's going to be the best training that, that I can tell you this for a fact. That is the best overall sales training I have ever had in my entire life especially from the standpoint of overcoming objections and especially from the standpoint of mentorship. I had, I was lucky. I was real lucky. I, I was mentored by some of the best guys and gals in that industry. Um, they saw something in me. I don't know. I mean, I, I still believe it was work ethic. They saw that I 
was the first one to show up and the last one to leave, even in my 20s. Um, right. It was just one of those things. And so they were willing to, and they saw that I was willing to, that I wanted to learn from them. Um, and based on that fact, they were willing to share a lot of the knowledge that they got. And that's one of the funny things about sales is that, you know, really, really good salespeople, they're not going to share everything with everybody. And the, and the, the real reason for that is because they want to know that you have respect for what they've accomplished, number one. And they also want to know that what they teach you, you're actually going to implement. And that's one of the biggest frustrations that I've ever had as a mentor or you know, anybody that's something that has ever come to me and said, Hey, te- you know, teach me this to this day. I have people that I'll sit with and will actually invest money into talking to me. And then I'll watch them and I'll be like, what the fuck? I literally told you exactly what you should be doing. I told you I was going to be watching you and you still didn't implement it. And I'm just, by that point, you know, they still reach out and I'm, that's when I get a little bit, you know, a little rougher. And I'm like, dude, why? What's the point of me spending another 20 minutes here, you know, texting you back and forth when I know for a fact you can't implement one simple thing of doing this, right? Right. So, you know, I've always been real choosy about that. You know, thank God that they were able to choose it. But my God, if you're trying to get into sales, I wouldn't jump right into real estate. I would go and get other sales jobs to hone your craft, get some really good training, and then get into real estate. That would be my, that would be my move. I did a lot of cold calling kind of too. Like, um, that's tough too. You get a little rejected a lot. I mean, I did a lot of like for sale by owner calls. I would call the you know, people that were selling a house themselves and ask them why they weren't using a realtor. And then I would go into a whole, you know, I had a whole list of questions. I would try to get out there and take a look at the house just to get, you know, and like you said, and when, and it maybe didn't happen immediately, but when they did decide to list, you already got your foot in the door. But I, if they see that work ethic, work ethic, I believe wholeheartedly. My, my parents were big on, you know, getting places on time, showing up and having the strongest work ethic. Yeah. I mean, I was the exact same way. My, my dad, you know, I, I've talked to you about my dad before. He's yeah. this guy, 78 years old, did 28 years in uh, United States Army. Um, this guy has got to have open heart surgery next month. By the way, the coronavirus is going on. He just had his 78th birthday. And this dude still goes to work every day. Like still goes to work every day. So, you know, people kind of, you know, ask like, oh my God, you know, where'd you get your work? Like, dude, my work ethic is, is, is something that was ingrained in me by my parents. It wasn't something that I just like woke up and was like, oh, I got this great work ethic. That's parented into you. And people don't realize that. And if, if it wasn't parented into you, then you have to create a habit for yourself to then create your own work ethic. That's how it works. So you either were, were taught that at a very early age, just like you were taught on how to walk or ride a bicycle or anything else, or you have to retrain your brain later on if your parents, if your parents just didn't make it one of those uh, or is one of the you know, capitalist things to, to be able to drive uh, as a driving force you know, into your own personality or what you're going to do. Uh, it's just, yeah, I, it's, I, I agree with you 100%. It's work ethic is, is the number one thing. Yeah. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about was um, from a social media standpoint, because we were, we were just kind of like touching on that just a little bit. You know, what, what would you say, what do you say the big differences is maybe within the last, like maybe like two or three years, have you seen a, a, a bit of a change 
in social media with real estate agents has it's, it looks like it's starting to really truly change now. I, I feel like I came a, a, along at a really good time and it just kind of so happened to start making sense of the real estate industry because for years I feel like real estate agents, they just did everything the exact same way. Like everybody did the exact same thing. So what do you think was the cause behind that? I just think the, just like with Amazon, like when Pete, when the, customers demand something you have to adapt and, and create it yeah and i think that more people are on social media now um that are coming up the age group from the you know, 25 to 30 or 45 whatever you know they're they're all they do everything on social media yeah so we that wasn't the case i've seen all different things happen i mean i've seen postcards we just send postcards out we used to and when, when Facebook first started, when, not when it first started, but when people started using it for real estate, they were just putting just sold pictures of houses, just sold, you know, just, they weren't, but nobody was doing um, campaigns, I feel like. I mean, that's come a long way. Um, so there's a lot of things that, and LinkedIn, I remember just using it to connect with people, but I never used it to post anything. And now I've learned that more recently than I probably should have been doing all, all along, but you showed me, I mean, I get a lot of people now who comment on the stuff on LinkedIn and they tell me when I see people, I don't always get the likes or comments on social media, but when I see people in person, they've told me, you know, the last year that they can't believe how much they see me everywhere on social media and how am I doing it? How do I have time to do it? Well, I don't, I mean, that's, that's why I have you. Well, yeah. I was just going to say, hopefully you're telling them the fucking secret. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Cause, uh, I, and I tell a lot of my clients this too, where like a lot of times, you know, they get, and th this is, again, this goes back to everybody, but we, we feel as if just because we're not getting the, um, the likes or the comments or the shares or whatever it is on a particular post, what you don't realize is how many people actually do see what you're doing. They just might not engage with it at that point in time. And then when you're out and about and you see them, all of a sudden they start saying stuff to you and you're just like, what? Really? Like, really? And it, then it starts to hit you where you're like, holy shit, it's making an impact and it's making a difference. And that happens to me all the time. I remember Mike Ritter came up to me. This was probably, it's probably last year. And I remember he came up to me and he goes, dude, he's like, uh, he's like, man, everywhere I go, you know, pe people in this industry, they're talking about you everywhere I go. And I'm like, really? I was like, I don't see that at all. Like on Facebook, Facebook or Instagram or anything. I really don't see that. And he's like, well, yeah, you don't see it because the majority of them aren't there. But the ones that are there are talking to these other people and then this, that and everything else. And just kind of keeps going down this rabbit hole. And he's like, but you're also not out at these places. So it's like they're watching, right? They're like watching the show, but they're not engaging with the show whatsoever. So I, that's why I always tell people, man, I'm like, you don't think that they don't see it if they're not engaging with it. Like if you post up a picture, I posted a picture of me and Logan. My, my son had his 13th birthday just recently. I posted that up and it was like 132 likes, you know, whatever. And I'm like, so let me get this straight. I'll put out, and this goes to your point of what you were saying about this piece of content. I'll put out this masterful, creative, artistic, you know, uh, uh, training within two minutes or three minutes on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm like, these people are going to get so much value out of this. They're going to comment so much on it. And it'll be like fucking nothing. And then I'll post one picture of me with my son. And it's like, boo, 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 boo. and you're just going, God damn it. What the fuck? And you freak out. But that's, 
that's the world we live in. They want to see the real life stuff. That's what they want to say. Yeah. You know, and we, and make, and it makes us hard to accept that. But what I like about that now, especially for real estate agents is that you guys don't have to just share real estate stuff. Now you can really kind of open up and be more yourselves and really pick and choose who you want to do business with. And I think that is a really mentally freeing feeling to be able to create a persona, the real persona of yourself, create that online, that avatar online and attract people that are like-minded with you. And man, you're going to, you're going to enjoy that experience of selling or buying a home with that client uh, much more than if you just got a random 10 percenter, you know what I mean? Right. And you say this all the time too. I think a lot of agents are nervous what people are going to say about them. And you know what, if they're saying stuff about you, it actually worked because they saw, they noticed. Yeah. And I'm not going to be worried about if someone thinks, why did he do that? You know what he did? He shouldn't have done that. that that's not the right thing to do. Why would you do that? You know, that doesn't look right. Well, I'm not trying to appeal to, you know, other eight real estate agents. I'm trying to appeal to the customers buying houses. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that's that a lot of people are camera shy video and don't like doing videos too. And, and they don't understand that you can, if you can talk about something you're comfortable with, that you know, it's pretty easy to do. I mean, it's not hard to, yeah. Well, they put, they paint themselves in a corner, Chris, because, and you know, again, you know, these are all coming back to things that we've talked about is that they hate, if they're not comfortable in video, there's other ways to communicate a personality, right? Sometimes, and there's some of the most successful people that I know, but don't do any video at all on social media and have some of the, some of the most popular, well done um, accounts and heavily followed accounts that are out there. I mean, a lot of my friends that like guys like um, the angry bartender, this, this look, first of all, nobody, not a lot of people know this, but a lot of people don't know if that person's a guy or a girl. They don't know the person's real face. They don't know the person's real voice. In fact, he's, he, he or she is going to be on my podcast probably next week. There, there's a voice changer thing that we're doing and all this other stuff. This person has never done anything like that. And it's just based off of memes. Um, my other friend, the honest restaurant manager, he's another guy who just wanted to be well known on social media. And um, one day he just switched it up and he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to, I'm just going to tweet out what I really fucking feel every day, screenshot it and screenshot those tweets and put them on Instagram. Now this dude, each post on Instagram, you're talking eight, nine, 10,000 likes on, an, on one Instagram post, dude. And this guy's still a manager at a restaurant, right? That's crazy. But yeah, but he's getting, I mean, other deals from, from other places. And this is just the guy who just tweets out his feelings. So it's, you know, by not being yourself, and this is one thing that I would love for people to take away from, from this podcast, by not being yourself, okay, you have no idea the opportunities that you're missing online. True. That's a, that, that is such a, that is such a um, impactful statement because you, I've talked about this before. You're extremely special and different in every single way to other people. And unless you're your real self, especially online from a transparency standpoint, you'll never really know how many other people out there feel or think the exact same way you do until you actually put it out there. And um, I think that's why people relate so well to me is that I say things and this is, this is one of the things that got me in trouble growing up, but I say whatever the fuck I want to say. And I, everybody's thinking,
magnetized towards that because going, okay, this guy thinks the way that I think, whether I'm a male or a female, he thinks the way I think. Him, right? And I think that that's a pretty good way of doing That's true. So as far as the real estate industry goes, you know, we, we, we kind of talked about the marketing and media side of things as, as far as like the real estate industry as a whole, from a standpoint of evolving where, what's your, what's your take on the whole Zillow thing, you know, before COVID and coronavirus kind of came out, a lot of people were getting upset about um, some of these new tactics that like Redfin was using or is using now um, and, and Zillow getting in and things of that nature. What, what's your whole take on that? I mean, I think there's, if, like I said before, if the customers are, are wanting something, then someone's out there that's ready to produce it. Um, but, I, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm a premier agent on Zillow and I get a lot of bang for my buck on there. Um, I get a lot of reviews on there. I mean, people love it. And, and we, I get, you get good leads there. You, you just got, it's the same thing. You got to like still, you might match up with the person and it's some of them, you know, you get, a, you get a lot more quantity of leads, but you don't, um, you don't always get, you have to go through a lot to get like, you know, a real good one or you know, it's just, they're just fishing, you know? So, but I think that um, their platforms are decent for, you know, the, some of the stuff drives us crazy, like this estimate, because it's not really like, an accurate appraisal usually because it's just taking like an average of homes in the neighborhood. So it's something that we have to kind of like educate, but it gives you at least something to talk about. Then you have to educate the client and say, look, this is a starting point, but this doesn't take into account your granite counters and your, you know, $50,000 addition on the back of the house. So it's something that it's a starting point, but, but yeah, there, I mean, it's, like I said, it's when there's a need, I mean, like as far as like the video tours right now, they're heavily promoted on both of those websites. Um, and it's real easy to click on the video because it's right there. It's in high. And if you use video tours, it's a benefit actually for you more than anything, because they're promoting those heavier than they are someone who doesn't have you know, as good a video or, or good photography. So. I mean, do you feel like that they, that these two companies could quite possibly, you know, I mean, look, we, we've proven that industries are disruptable, right? I mean, we, we look at, you know, Uber and taxi cabs and Lyft and, and Airbnb, even though Airbnb now is, is you know, the, there were some issues there, obviously, right. um, but Airbnb to hotels and, and things of that nature. Um, I look at the car business. The car business is one of those businesses that's been has done very well from a standpoint of avoiding disruption. However, now you've got companies like Carvana and stuff like that, um, where, you know, they're attempting to take out the middleman, basically. Hey, look, you know, just go right to us. We'll handle everything type of stuff. Do you think that the real estate industry, do you think that's what Zillow and Redfin are attempting to do is to just remove the middleman completely at this point and make it where you can just buy the house online, skip the whole process of a real estate agent, and, and just go from there. Do you see that as a future or do you think that just human beings will always need the guidance of another human being during that process? I think that there's people that would be willing to, to buy without an agent. I mean, I think there's a market, some market there for that. Um, and it does streamline it. Um, but I think that, like you said, I do think that 
and I, I wouldn't ignore I'm not ignoring it. I, I'm watching it. It's not like I'm trying to say, because there's a lot of agents saying, oh, it'll never happen to us. Well, that's a lot of companies said that. I think the guy from Blockbuster Video said that. He said Netflix is never going to, people are going to want to come get what we have, you know, the videos we have, and they're with it. it's never going to happen. We're always going to be here. And then look now, he's not there. So, yeah. um, so you definitely have to pay attention to it. But I think that um, it's not for everyone. It's a challenging process that you, and it's a personal, um, people have personal feelings about homes. And if you, you see these, like a lot of the good agents create like a lifelong friendship with their clients. Um, and there's a lot of steps. There's a lot of things that can go wrong in a transaction. And if you don't have someone who's done a lot of transactions, then you're not going to have anyone to um, ask, you know, how to solve a problem during the transaction. It's different if you're like an investor, you're buying a house, you're not doing an inspection. That's the, you know, that I could see people doing that. Um, and maybe some people are savvy enough that they'll want to buy without an agent. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I still think it's one of those purchases that definitely, um, if real estate agents can show the service that, that the, it's worth it and show the people that they, they should, there's a reason why they should have a realtor. And I think that's something we need to do a better job of Then I don't think that it will ever go completely that way. Yeah, I agree with you. I, th I think the trick is to, you know, prove why first have acceptance to the fact that you are disruptible, right? right. Like just understand, don't. And, and a lot of the times we say like, it, when we say like, it'll never happen to us. The reason we say that is it's almost like we're trying to put it out into the universe and go, if I say that it, it can never happen, then it just won't happen, right. which I think historically, like we've said before, that's been, that's been proven wrong multiple times. And so we need to, we need to learn from history, guys, uh, that it is, okay? There, there's, there's a little Jane or a little John right now that is currently Zooming to go to school from their parents' house, all right? They're not even in school anymore. They're currently Zooming and doing online courses right now where in the back of their mind, there's something that will eventually happen where they're going to come in and come up with an idea and you're all going to quickly have to go, Oh, you know, Oh shit, we should have been prepared for this. So yeah. the, the best, right. So the best way to prepare for it is to accept change, but then also. all of us pretty much can do virtual business um, and, and get it done. I mean, right now we, I'm sure that you have been able to close sales virtually. Am I, am I, would I be incorrect in saying that you've been able to do that? No, you're right. I mean, I've done buyer consultations with the lender and the client all on zoom so we could do it all at once. And then if they had a question for the lender, I'm right, we're all right there. It was like we were right in the same room and we didn't, you know, took takes so much less time. You don't have to drive somewhere. Yeah. Went, went from an hour meeting to a 15 minute meeting. And I've done zoom listing appointments where people have actually walked me around their house on their iPad and I've looked at it and then they signed a listing paperwork and you know, I never, I didn't even go there. So, and, and people have made offers um, just through video. 
Um, and, and they've done maybe in the, you have to tweak it a little bit, maybe do an addendum that says, this is contingent on the buyer actually seeing the house, you know, before at the inspection or whatever. So. Sometimes we have technical difficulties with Zoom. There must be just so many people Zooming right now that they just want to do it. What what I've what I've kind of figured out from this whole from this whole situation that where where a majority of us are, are working virtually. I remember I used to say all the time, like I've had I have some clients that are like out of state, right? But they're big clients, and. I always feel like that they made me drive to them for meetings just because maybe it was old school kind of mentality, but at the end of the day, like sometimes they just want to see your face and, and things of that nature. But I remember what I would always say, I would be like, why the hell do I need to get up and drive down two hours or three hours to be in this office for 45 minutes and then get back in my car and drive two or three hours home in my entire day shot when we could have just hopped on a zoom call and had that, that interaction. I think what you're seeing now is, is really truly, um, I don't believe that Zoom stock will go down after this. I believe it will continue to either stay plateaued where it is or will continue to rise and continue to evolve as it's evolved over this point in time because virtual business is now going to be, I believe, a very normal part of just life. It's, it's just one of those things that it's just easier. Why would we not, right? It's just easier to do it this way. I agree. I know already I'm involved with a lot of um, different, I'm involved with three boards. I mean, the state board of realtors, the local and um, the million dollar real estate association. We've already done a bunch of board meetings and it, it makes me so happy too, because driving to Annapolis and then doing an hour meeting and driving back could be like three, four hours, you know, just of my day. And now it's like, we don't need to do them all that way. You know, I think we can do a lot of them virtually and maybe we still have, you know, one or two, you know, that are in person, they're, you know, critical, but you definitely can, you can do so much more in your day when you don't have to drive from place to place. Yeah, because like there in some of those groups, you have a lot, a lot of the, the older demographic that is still in your business and, you know, they don't believe they're like, nah, nah, we're, we're not doing that techie, you know, screen to screen stuff. We're going to, we, we need to have a real meeting and we need to get it done this way. And, and at the end of the day, you know, there's guys like you, the younger guy, you, you know, younger cats that are coming in and going, nah, man, there's other stuff that we can do. Just like we talked about, you know, doing like, you know, like presentations with them. We're like, dude, they're not going to get it. Right. And it's, uh, you know, some of them are going to accept the fact now that this is, that this is the way that things are going to go. This is the way that things are going to start to change and we have to kind of evolve with it. And, and if, if not, you're going to get left in the dark. Um, and, and I believe, you know, um, that's again, why I call this a control at the lead. I believe that it is a wake up call to a lot of those people going, you know, we probably should have started doing some of this stuff sooner. You know, now that we have to do it, now we've realized that this is a much easier way of life to be able to get things done. Do, do you think that this is an industry that is going to see more people, more, I guess, younger people getting involved in it just based on, I, at least from what I see, 
based on the fact that, you know, a lot of kids are getting out of college now. They don't know what they want to do. Um, but they do see, uh, you know, this, the success that a majority of real estate agents tend to have, especially from a financial standpoint, if they do very well, do you see that this is an industry where a lot of these kids are getting out of school and they're wanting to hop into real estate? I do. I think well, the whole time I've been in the business, the average age has been dropping. I mean, it's just, I think before it was, I'm not sure what it was, but I got this when I first got in. People would thought that I was too young to handle their biggest asset. Probably like even at the car dealership when you were young, yeah. people would say, "Oh, you, what do you know about a car? You, you know, you barely, you've only been driving for five years, yeah, or something." Yeah. So that I think that mentality has changed now, though, because I think that um, you can learn a lot um, about housing and 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 all and actually the, the people buying right now are young. They're buying younger than they used to. Um, they're more informed and, and they want someone who is in their demographic. I don't think they're calling like the person their parents use, like they used to, that used to be how it was. Yeah. But now it's like, I saw this really cool. I've been following this guy on Facebook, Instagram. He posts a lot of stuff. He knows a lot about real estate. That's who I'm going to call. Yeah. When I'm ready. What I think is what I think is interesting is the demographics that you were talking about, and this this to me is one of the, mo- the most interesting things, and I think it's one of the most ignored things too. Is I always ask real estate agents, I'm like, how long do you plan on being in the business from the time that we're talking right now? And some people will tell me ten years, some will tell me, hey, twenty years, thirty years, or until I just can't do it anymore. And I'm like, okay, so let's start talking about where these where this age group would be in that where, you know, the next 10 years. Right. So I start talking and I'm like, all right, 20 year old now, right. We know where they are. We know they, where they hang out. We know how they behave. We know how they communicate. We know all of these things. Are you currently set up to be able to handle that, that person, the way that that person communicates, how that person is entertained, how they're, what they're attracted to things that nature are, are, is that person, are you able to handle that person? And a majority of the clientele can't do that. They can't answer that question. They can't, they can't do their things or they're not prepared to do those things. And that's where I feel like real estate agents, if they do that now, I believe will still be successful and still be useful, even if some things technologically change in the industry. That's why I think the human contact will be there because I do believe that the generation, that 20 year old generation right now, the generation that's in that 20 year old demographic, I believe that they like the human engagement. I believe they don't, you, you'd be surprised how much they don't leverage on technology, but they're more about the communication. And that's something that they into. And if you're not willing to be there where they are now, um, that's where I always feel like you're gonna fail. It's like, Facebook, right? I mean, like when you and I were growing up, what came out, we were very lucky in the generation that we were born into, right? Because, you know, we, we were able to see, and this goes back to some of the nostalgic stuff that you and I always post. We, we, were, we were definitely around with the best toys. There's no question about that. The best TV shows, no question about that. The best, the, you know, the best, all that. But we were also in the same generation when we were just getting out of college and we were just getting into the workforce where social media started become, to become a way for our generation to communicate. So we were very lucky in that, in that standpoint, but our children and 
the ones that are just a bit younger than that, it's just a part of the world that they live in, right? Like a, a six-year-old now can pick up an iPad and zoom through it faster than a grandmother or a grandfather, right? Yeah. So that being said, <laughs> they're showing you, they're giving you the answers. They're, they're literally showing you this is how they communicate. My son would rather text me than pick up the phone. Based right. on that, I know that. I, need, I know that that's how my client's going to communicate to me in 15 or 20 years, not Mr. Tom, who owns this restaurant, who's 65 years old, needs me to pick up the phone and call him, not right. text him, right? right? So again, it's just understanding human behavior and it's understanding how they communicate. And if you can do those two things, I don't think you're ever going to be not being able to understand demographic, but you have to have an open mind enough to be able to, to try and taste those things, which you, which you do very, very well. There's no question about it. And there's a lot of real estate agents, agents out there that do that. Um, so it's, it's something that I like to say. I want to talk about um, some of the things that are a little bit off, off kilter of real estate real fast. Cause I knew that you mentioned, I did know that you mentioned that you were on a couple different boards and, and um, the other, the, the one bigger part of it, it's, I know the boards, but the million dollar. It's a million, million dollar real estate association. It really just means it, that you, you have to sell a certain amount. There's a, like a, there's a set parameter that you have to sell to get in, to be able to join it. Uh, when it was started, I think house prices, you know, they were a lot lower. So it was, you know, it was probably a million. It's two, we do 2 million now for this in a year, but that's, you know, and that still allows a lot of people to join it, but it's really more of a social club. We do a lot of, we have a lot of speakers um, and we do a lot of fundraisers too for, for places to help out. So, And that's one place. That's one thing that I've seen real estate agents that, that have no problem uh, the community from a community standpoint, if you're going to be a real estate agent, you better be damn sure involved in the communities that are around you um, that, or your success rate in, the, in that industry is not going to do very well whatsoever. There's no question about it. I've never seen an industry be, be more involved in, in community and in fundraising than I've seen with real estate agents. Just that's it, true. Just and I love, I love that too. I love the interaction with the community and like every, every board I'm on, we do a lot of like fundraising. We do a realtor care day um, every year where we go out and volunteer and just, we go from County to County and just try to figure out what they need help with and what we can do. And you're talking like agents coming in and doing manual labor donating money. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's insane. The amount of community involvement the realtors have. It's just so many of them, man. I mean, I can't, I, I will tell you that a majority of the ones, you know, including yourself, um, that, that, you know, work with us, it, most of them are the ones that are the most involved in, uh, in communities and, and giving back. And, you know, to me, that's, there, there's something to be said for that. And they are happy enough to involve me in it, which is really cool. One of the reasons I wanted to get off the real estate thing for a second is because I know you're a big CrossFitter and I, I got real into fitness. It's, and oddly enough, us both being in our forties, we're, we're just realizing, right. Uh, how important it is for us to take care of ourselves or we're not going to be able to keep our girlish good looks. And that being said, um, you know, I, I want to go through this because this has been an interesting time for a lot of us that are so used to going to the gym every day. You know, I'm a, I'm a big gym guy. I go to the gym every single day. That's, that's my time to, you know, clear my head and everything else like that. I know you go to CrossFit and I know you do some other activities. Um, but and whenever we, whenever I talk to anybody, I always want to get some sort of experiences from them or something that they can offer and share 
with the people that are listening because there's more to people than just what they do for a living, right? I, I would say that about myself and I know that about you. I know that you like being physically active. Um, so we, we always want to do our two questions, six answers type of thing. So the first, the first question I want to ask you is being that you're in CrossFit, that you're still actively in CrossFit. We were just talking before the episode that you're still going to CrossFit right now, which is awesome. And you're in the, in the place that you're going now. Um, I'm sure I'll mention it is um, uh, they're open, you know, and they're following all the guidelines, the fire trucks were even there and everything else like that. So um, that being said, is there, can you give me three tips or three things that people can do at home that they're maybe, you know, they're not being able to go to the gym, three things that they can do at home um, that can maybe help them kind of sustain uh, until their gyms are back open. Yeah, we actually did our, our gym and the gym is CrossFit Baltimore. It's in Rosedale, Maryland. Um, but we, we did zoom classes um, before we were able to open the outside um, portion. And we, I mean, it was very creative. We did, there's a lot of things you can use in your house that you don't even know you have um, that can be used for resistance. I mean, we used like people were like, yeah, holding instead of a kettlebell, they were holding a, a gallon of water yeah, and doing squat air squats, you know, front rack, you know, gallon jug squats. I mean, just using a broomstick instead of a bar to, you know, to do weightlifting um, technique work because that's all they had was a broomstick, you know, that they could use to practice, clean up their lifts. Yeah. And we actually, that was one good thing that we did was we cleaned up a lot of the technique work. So when you go back out and start lifting heavy weights, at least your technique will be solid. And then you, you know, and, you know, getting older, you don't want to, last thing you want to do is get hurt and then you're out for a long time. So that was a big thing. And then you can still run. You can still, um, we did all kinds of substitutions. We did, instead of doing pull-ups, we even threw like a um, towel over the door, shut the door and then just used lean back and did like an inverted um, row with a towel, just with one. That's all you had. You you just use that to do your pull-ups and you're basically doing inverted rows, but, um, but you're, there's a lot of things you can do if you get creative. And there's a lot of free stuff out there right now on YouTube, on, um, I think even like brands like Peloton, they're having, they have other, you can, they have the bike, but they also have other um, exercises. I think they're running right now for people to get, you know, people are getting creative. I mean, they're, you got it. You got to use what you got. I mean, not everyone has the equipment. That's why you join a gym because it's more expensive to, buy everything and then you got to have you know the ability to do the stuff in the space you have so well i mean right now especially man the weights are so expensive i mean you, oh, yeah yeah you, to go and buy you know 30 pound dumbbells man you're spending two three hundred dollars i've never i mean it's price gouging obviously but you know it is what it is that towel one though i'm gonna try that because that's interesting i didn't even think about that until yeah. i imagined it in my head when you were saying it i'm like oh shit that would work that's pretty yeah. cool and I didn't even think about that because I use the bands. Um, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? And, yeah. and you pull that resistance back to you. Those bands that are, we have them at the gym that we use. But, um, but yeah, man. And a lot of people don't realize, man, resistance is some of the best, the, the best things that you can do, not only to build muscle, man, but just from everything, from every other factor and standpoint, um, you're using muscles that you've probably ignored just by lifting weights. Well, CrossFit's big on body weight movements. Um, a lot of people probably shouldn't be lifting weights because they can't even handle their body weight. And I think 
until you can do that correctly with the right technique, it's probably not a good idea to throw 400 pounds on your back and start back squatting. But people do. People, I mean, they do it. It's just. Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me correct what you just said there. A lot of guys do it. <laughs> I will tell you right now, the, the women that go to my gym are some of the most intelligent people on the absolute freaking planet. They do absolutely everything the right way. Technique is the most important thing to them. The guys, though, that go to this gym, I can tell you right now, it's like watching, it's like watching clowns at a carnival, man. Like these, yeah. these knuckleheads will try to do anything they possibly can to you to, to be, the, the, to be the, uh, the, the gorilla in the room, you know, the, the, the big guy. And yeah. um, it just seems to me that, that, uh, that women have a better uh, grasp on technique and uh, the technique of actually what it's going to do to your body. That's why I feel like they, they can reach those. I personally feel that they reach their, their goals a lot faster than most men because most men don't focus on the technique. They focus on everything else that is really not important. Um, and most people wouldn't even realize that. It's not about how much you lift. Sometimes it's about the, rep, the, the, the reps that you're taking. Sometimes it's about lightweight movements. There's just so many different things that people do. Um, and CrossFit's a great way to do it. In fact, I had Nick, who's my business partner, ask me, he was like, how come you never got into CrossFit? And it was just not something that I, even one of my friends owns a place. It's just one of those things I just never got into just because I like working out by myself yeah. in my own mind. A lot of, I know a lot of people that CrossFit, it's more of like a group, a group thing. And, um, but I mean, maybe I'm going to check it out now at this point, because now it sounds really good. And to be honest with you, it's out. Like it's I can another, go there and another, do it. Well, it's another community. They're big on community. Like the big, the, the whole CrossFit community nationwide, worldwide is huge, but, um, but it's a big, it's a bond of people at this your at your gym level. I mean, these people will go to bat for each other for anything. Cause we, we st- we're standing beside people when they're at the worst. Mm-hmm. When, I mean, I've seen people like get so fed up with a workout that it like made them emotional. And you see all sides of people when, when you're working out to the hard, the hardest you can work out, you know, to practically pushing your limits to the, to the very edge, you get to see people when they're vulnerable. And because of that, you have a new respect for them. Yeah. And I also think it, it goes down to the same situation is that we, a lot of the times we never really get to our, our true potential unless we have somebody else who is holding us accountable. And I've said that before, but we, a lot of us don't. And if we, if some of us need groups like that to be able to do it. I know Nicole's, she goes to Orange Theory um, and she likes that group effort type of stuff. And uh, it's just, but it's never been my thing. I, ever, I always like doing stuff alone anyway. I'm more of that lone wolf kind of guy. So I always like doing stuff alone, but it's, it's one of those things. And I, I do understand, I get it. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a great motivator to have others around you that are, uh, that you can trust and that are lifting you up when you're at your worst. You're absolutely right. Um, the other side of it, and we kind of already touched on it really with, with, with some of these younger real estate agents, because I really feel like they, they need people to, um, to lean on from a knowledge standpoint. What, give me three things as a real estate agent that you believe that customers or clients need to know, but typically are not told by real estate agents. Three, three things that a client would need to know. I think one, just the process of buying or selling a house. Um, I, I have these sheets that I give them that lists everything you could expect that could happen during the process. Um, and it's everything from like, if you're selling your house, somebody might call you five minutes away and say, we want to see your house. So what do you, how are you going to react? Are you going to be prepared for that? Or are you going to say, 
I can't believe these people didn't give us enough notice. If you tell them out front, then I think they're more prepared for it. Some people don't realize the um, importance when they're buying a home um, of not charging things on your credit card or going out, just going out and asking like a pool company, what it costs to put a pool in this house you're buying. Cause once they run the credit for the pool, that's dropping your credit score. So, you know, that's another thing that people just don't, aren't, they're not educated about the process and the pitfalls. So I think as agents, we have to, um, we have to be there and, you know, guide them through it. So really it's about setting expectations. And I mean, right. that goes, that goes, I feel like, again, these are, these are broad statements. This goes with everything that you do is if you set the expectations up front, then what you're doing is you're limiting the amount of objections that you're going to have to handle later. It's funny. Cause when, when I first started working with you, I was like, who is this guy, man? Like I, I was like, Hey, let's go grab coffee. You're like, nah, I'm not doing it. And then now it's funny because I see other people saying, this guy's great to work with, but he won't go grab a coffee with you. <laughs> so it's like, it's something that I remember. And it, it was weird at first because I was, but now I, that's your, but you set the expectation. You said, I'm not going to go get coffee with you, but you can give me a call, you can message me. And, you know, we're going to get the same thing accomplished. And it was, to me, it was, I had to accept that that's, I was going to go move forward with that. Um, but that you set, it wasn't like you set a, a, a different expectation than what it was. Like what your expectations were, were exactly what you followed through with. So, yeah, the, you know, the coffee thing is a, it's, it's almost like a running joke. Now I've made it into like a running joke, but the coffee thing started because what was, and I, I think I told you this and it was like, the, it's the same reason I don't take fucking checks anymore. All right. The reason that the agency doesn't take checks anymore is because some people ruined that for everyone else. Right. The reason I don't go get coffee anymore with people is because somebody ruined that for everybody else. It's just those things you get, you know, uh, it's just like with you guys with real estate, it's just a little bit different because I feel like they have to like, you know, they got to have that sit down and that face to face. Cause we're getting ready to make a hundred and you know, from 120 to $2 million, you know, decision. I get that. Right. But when, you know, we're talking about, you know, anything between the price range of 299 bucks, to maybe like 800 i'm going hey guess what we can do this on zoom now or we can have a phone call or whatever it is because a lot of the times the coffee is not where you're going to see the real person you're going to see the best of me right and you're going to see the and i'm going to see the best of you that's when you're, everyone's going to be on their nicest best terms after that once it turns from client to to um to uh, uh the person who is providing uh the service things change real quick, right? Because your expectation is I'm paying for this. I want this and I'm going, you're paying for this, but this is what we offer. And I feel like sometimes it's, it's, um, I, I have the luxury now. And so do you, which comes from busting our ass and working really hard. We have the luxury to be able to one, say no, and two, be able to pick and choose who we do business with. I think I lost, I think I lost him again which is just awful. Can't stand when I lose, lose a guest on Zoom. Yeah. It happens from time to time. So regardless, Chris uh, was a good guest. He was great, actually. Um, and we touched on quite a, quite a few things. We touched on uh, a lot of the things that we discussed were 
obviously real estate related, but a lot of the things that we discussed and we talked about um, have to do with work ethic. They have to do with things that um, I feel as if they are overlooked by a huge margin um, and we just don't do enough of uh, the standpoint of uh, setting expectations to, to not have to overcome objections later. That's, that's another one of those little things that we just, we just don't do. So based on that fact, um, you know, unfortunately we lost Chris because I think we had almost hit an hour at this point, but um, it was a good episode. And I know uh, Chris will probably most likely be back on um, and join us again. Um, Chris is going to be launching his own podcast from what I understand. This is going to be his first episode. So make sure if you didn't listen here, go follow Chris online, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, everywhere he is. And uh, make sure to go listen to his first podcast. And I know he's going to have some other ones coming up, some really good entrepreneurs on there. So it's going to be some good stuff. So go listen. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Chris Jor. We appreciate it, brother. Love you very much. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for listening to the Bad Reputation Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and share what you may have learned with someone else today. Remember, your reputation is everything.